I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 146. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, it's Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Frances Inohosa. Frances is from Toronto, Ontario, and one of the partners at Tribe Financial. She's been in the finance business for 20 years and was doing $120 million as a bank specialist and three and a half years ago decided to be, get into the broker space. She's helping build Tribe Financial into a large brokerage in the GTA. She does a mini coaching session with me when I ask her, I say, hey, if a broker was at $10 million and they wanted to get to 20, what would you say to them? And it's a fantastic conversation that I have. And you could tell she's actually done this a lot. Frances has got a ton of energy and I met her a couple times at conferences and I just think she's a fantastic mortgage broker and just has some great insights. So I think you're gonna enjoy this episode. This episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Normally when I have a sponsor for the show, it's because I've personally used their product or service and I can give it a 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I actually don't do B deals. So I did some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West and I found that everyone I talked to said they were fast, down to earth and underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a B lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they're really fast. In most cases, they're able to give you an answer within 24 hours or less. If your broker is looking for a lender for your next B deal in BC, Alberta, check out Pioneer West and tell them you heard about them on I Love Mortgage Brokering. They've been a big supporter of our community. Check them out at PioneerWest.com. This episode is also sponsored by AdLawAppraisals.com. They're a full-service real estate firm located in Vancouver, BC. They appraise residential and commercial properties throughout the entire Lower Mainland. And I did some background checking on Adam and the crew, and brokers told me they were fast, efficient, and approved with most banks, credit unions, and even B lenders. They've invested in various technologies to ensure quick turnarounds, and they have an executive home appraisal price that doesn't even kick in until $1.5 million, which is awesome for borrowers because it saves them money. Also, rent estimates and the first letter of transmittal is always on the house. AdLaw is a big supporter of our community, and they created a unique offer for our listeners. Go to adlawappraisals.com and mention ILMB50, and you'll get a one-time $50 off any full-service appraisal. Check them out at adlawappraisals.com, and check out this interview with Francis. Hey, Francis, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, how are you? So what, your last name, what nationality is it? Uh, Spanish. So how do you say it? I say it Hinojosa to try to keep it phonetic for clients that hopefully they'll spell it the right way, which never happens, but properly is Inahosa. Inahosa. Francis yeah. Inahosa. I thought it was Japanese for some reason. Everyone gets that. Oh my God, I could tell you a funny story. What is it? I'll never forget. So I get this referral. This is back in my banking days from a realtor and dealing with the client. It was all emails back and forth to arrange the meetings and pre, because I always pre-qualified clients. Anyways, that's a whole other story. So make the appointment. Great. I'm going to come out to see you. Go to their house. Never had a phone conversation. Okay. This is all by email. So show up at the house, ring the doorbell, opens it up. And the lady's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, what, what's up? Like, is there something on me? Something's wrong? And then they start laughing. They're like, no, we thought there was going to be a Japanese man that was going to show up here. And it was you, yeah. They thought Francis is a male name and they thought Hannah Joseph was Japanese. And here, and at the time too, I was eight months pregnant. So here is this like eight month pregnant woman, white woman standing at their door, freaking them out completely. So tell me, how did you get into the mortgage business? 
Well, I mean, in my mind, I think I've been in the mortgage business for a long, long time. But I mean, being a broker, I've only been in the business now for what, three and a half years. But I've been doing finance for probably close to over 20 years because I work at a major bank. Why did I get into the business and how did I get into the business? I saw the writing on the wall. I saw the changes moving ahead. I think it's going to be a combination of a few different things, personally and business-wise. Business-wise, you know, B20 started coming out, B21 started coming out. I didn't like the fact that I was working for an organization where I had one product to sell and that was it. I wasn't really solutions-based in my mind. I was a one-trick prony and I just had one product. So, you know, it was, okay, do I stay and be comfortable with this or do I move on? So what did you do at the big bank? So did you do mortgages or did you do financial planning? What was your role? Dabbled a bit in financial planning, didn't love it, got all the certifications for it, loved the debt side of things. And I really felt in, in the world in general, in Canada, you know, real advice when it comes to debt was very lacking. You know, it was a one product thing. Clients would come in, I need a loan, but I don't want advice. And you know, I think that's sad. I think Canadians should treat their debt the same way that they treat their RSP portfolio. And that's how they should treat their mortgage. And that's the approach that I've always taken with clients. So I switched over from that. I actually first got into investment lending and corporate lending. And that's what I was doing for the longest time. And I worked in the specialized division. And it, again, it's coming across the right people. And I had some great mentors over the years. And back then I had a fabulous mentor at the bank and he's the one that pushed me into the mortgage side. He's like, I just, I can't believe you're not going to get into mortgages. Like, you know, the mortgage product. Did he push you into being a mortgage specialist at the bank or just in brokering? Like what was the, he put me into a mortgage specialist at the bank at the time. And honestly, it took me six months to decide because it was going from salary to commission. I laugh about it now. And then how long did you work on commission as a bank specialist? Oh God, 10 years. Usually most people fail in the first two. So if you've done it for 10, you were getting success. So what made you after the 10 year mark decide to jump into the, you know, the wide world of brokering versus working for a bank? It was time. I, I just, I, you know what? I don't know how to explain it other than deep down in my gut, I felt it was time. It was time in different ways. It was time in, in my life. You know, I felt there was a pivotal moment, call it a midlife crisis. There was, you know, knowing that I was going to hit that magical age 40. I don't know. For me, 40 is a magical age. I always feel like 40 is your halfway mark in your life. That's how I look at it myself personally. Mm -hmm. Everyone that knows me closely knows I'm very odd. I kind of now count my years backwards now. So in my mind, I think I'm going to live till I'm 80. That's what I have in my mind. So, you know, I'm 42 now, about to be 43. So I got, you know, 38, 37 years to go. I don't want to waste it. I had that moment. I sat there. I was like, okay, I got a great gig out of the bank. They never expected me to go into a bank. I never worked in a bank branch for years, probably over 10 years. I worked from home, worked like a broker, had a referral network, had a client network. Great job. I was, you know, the media expert for the bank. Great income coming in, in my mind. I'd, you know, I'm not about money. I didn't need to make millions of dollars. And then with all the changes coming in, I sat there and I thought, huh, like, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? You know, it's you read all the books and the advice that you get out there. And I, I do live and die by it. I don't want to have regrets. I didn't want to wake up and, you know, be retired and have the bank retirement party. And maybe I'll get a watch or whatever. And there you go. I wanted to make a difference. Right. And that's why I became a broker, because I wanted to offer clients better advice. And really, as a banker, you can't. I challenge any banker out there to come up to me and tell me how you can give better advice than I can as a broker. And they can't do it. You right. can't.
It's like Peter Mathan, he says, of asking a bank for which mortgage to choose is like asking a Ford dealer which car to buy. It's sort of like totally. they, they only have one car. And I mean, it might be the right one. Right. Oh, yeah. Then the reality is that sometimes it's not or often, you know, it's just having more choice is good. So uh, I like that idea, that concept that you said of having like, imagine if instead of birthdays, you had a countdown timer. I, how would we would we live differently if we could see the, you know, counting down the days instead of counting up, right? I've come to that point in my life that every single day, I don't want to waste it. I actually get angry at myself if I waste a day. That's how crazy I am. If I find out I wasted a day and I look back at it and I deconstruct it, I get angry at myself. I don't want to waste any minute, any hour. Life is short. It's precious. That's awesome. So before we dive into the rest of your story, I always like to ask about a quote that's had an impact on your life or business. Can you share something that's had an impact on you? Oh, God. But you know what? That was so hard. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I really noodled it. And anyone that knows about me, and you've probably seen it, like I love quotes. And and that was that's a way to sort of self-motivate myself. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what my quote is in a second, but I literally will sit there and how I, I self-coach myself a lot and I self-motivate myself a lot. And when I have bad days, I, every day I reflect on my day, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'll find quotes to sort of inspire me because, you know, I think you've said it, it's what's your quote on the, I love mortgage brokering. You know, if you have a problem out there, someone's already solved it. Mm -hmm. it it's the same thing with quotes in life. If you have a challenge in your life, someone else has gone through it or even worse. Yeah. So something out there is going to motivate you. You know what? It's funny. You know what my favorite quote is for all time? I use it in my life with myself, my kids, my business. It's not really a quote, but it comes from Cinderella, which is, is a quote, which is funny. It comes from Cinderella is <laughs> have courage and be kind. Right. And so have courage and be kind. So then how do you apply that your mortgage business? If you have courage and you're kind, if you, you know, if you lead with conviction, if you believe in something, you know, I, I coach a lot of people. I coach a lot of people personally and I coach a lot of people outside of the business and in the business. And I give, I love giving advice and I love hearing stories because their stories will actually make me better. And I've probably experienced stuff where have courage and be kind is, is if you lead with your heart and you truly are genuine and, and caring and kind, and have the courage to stand up for yourself, you'll do great things. And you'll overcome any obstacle that you'll ever face. So give me an example of something that you recently had to like, that was actually for you took some courage. And then what happened? When you have to let down people, and I'm going to generalize it. But you know, when you have to let down people in your life, there's always going to be a situation where you're not going to have to give news that you're not 100% happy with yourself answering, right? Or giving. Mm -hmm. giving that advice. So are you meaning like a client situation? Yeah. Like let's say in business, a client situation. And, and you know, I tell their agents this all the time because you know, they always want, everyone wants to close that deal. No one wants to lose a deal, but you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to give that bad news, but it's the way you approach it. Have mm -hmm. courage and be kind about it. Have the courage to explain it properly as to why something can't be done right. and, you know, be kind about it. Right. Yeah, that's good. And remember, there's still yeah, a person on the other end and that they had a hope and a dream and some it's just maybe it's not n never. It's just not now. It's not never. It's just not now. And there, you know, what? we all face struggles in our personal life and our careers. But again, I believe if you have courage and you're kind, you'll overcome it. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Leading with your heart. Always. That's good. So can you share something that you failed at? Because I noticed talking to successful brokers, entrepreneurs, failure happens, but there's always lessons when they look back and reflect on it. You know what? Let's take my career. I stayed with the bank for 10 years. And, you know, part of that is probably a fail. I mean, I was a high, highly successful mortgage specialist. I know I could have kicked it in this industry early on. You know, to me, that's a fail. But from the fail, I've learned from that. 
again, when the time came, do I take this risk? Damn right. I'm taking this risk. Cause I'm not going to waste any more time. Mm-hmm. It's taken me many, many years. I'm a lot better at it. I would, you know, have failures in my life, would, which would knock the wind out of me. Like literally. Like what? Give me an example of something that at one time would knock the wind out of you, but now is like you actually can get back up. Oh God, early on losing deals. I think when you start early on, you lose deals. You know, you can't take it personally or, you know, the deal can't get done or the client gets angry at you. You know, if, if you have that personality that I do and I take a lot of things personally and I take it to heart, it took me a lot of times to overcome that. Again, taking it personally. Right. But I've learned over the years that it's okay. You know, failure, what else has happened? You know what, to be open, on front and honest, and most people know about this. I really early on started in this career. I pissed off a lot of people when I started off. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what happened. Oh, just, you know, it just, I think it's the mentality of the bull in the china shop. I, you know, I wasn't going in there not being kind. I just, I wanted everything to be done quickly, fast. I wanted it my way. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned that you have to play fair in the sandbox. You know, I have pissed off some lenders that didn't want to do business with me early on. But mm-hmm. since then, we've become friends. You know, failures like that could have, you know, turned me the other way or could have put me in a situation where I didn't, you know, I wouldn't succeed in this business. Right. That's good. I look at my failures. Listen, I, you know, I've also learned or what I also do is I always do the reality check. You know, if there is a screw up that happens in your life or that happens in the business, you have to put some blame on yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, you have to take ownership of some part of it, no matter what, even if it's, a, you know, I, I totally agree. If you heard of a book called Extreme Ownership, there's this guy that written, it's a retired Navy SEAL. It's really good. It kind of talks about you take ownership of the problem. And even if it wasn't your fault, you still take ownership of it. And I think that type of mentality will always serve you well in business as a mortgage broker. And yeah, I agree. Otherwise, you you just push, you just create more problems for yourself. Yeah, like don't, you know, again, early on in my career life 20 years ago, I was very defensive. And I think that's a maturity value. You Mm -hmm. get defensive on things and you're always right. You know, I took that step back. I learned over 20 years. Sometimes, you know what, you're not always right. You got to sit there and appreciate the advice and the perspective other people give to you and kind of chew on it, noodle it and take it to heart. Mm -hmm. That's good. So another thing I've noticed talking to mortgage brokers, there seems to be three parts of the business. There's obviously leads, kind of what makes them come in, the team that you have, then the systems that you use to hold everything together. So are you still like actively brokering or do you have like, what's your setup right now? I still actively broker. I don't think I'd ever really want to get it. That's one part I really don't want to let go of is the active brokering side of things. I still love dealing with clients. Mm-hmm. I think dealing with clients as well allows me to, to remain relevant. And yeah. understand the struggles that my agents go through and understand the programs as well and help guide and mentor them. I have scaled back a lot in my business. And then you also have agents because part of your role is also building out Tribe Financial, right? Part of my role is building out Tribe Financial. So we started Tribe Financial at the beginning of August last year. I'm quite proud. Like we've grown now to six offices across the GTA. We have 20 agents. So, you know, I I wear both hats. I spend the day mentoring and coaching and leading the tribe and the other part dealing with my clients as well. But I also have systems in the background. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a superwoman. I have people that handle all the, the paperwork in the back end side of things that allows me to have the ability to go out and do the other things that I love. Actually, anybody listening, go check out in the show links. Your guy's branding looks awesome. I think the name and the branding and everything just looks like it's sweet. So at least it, it resonates with me when I see it. I was like, oh, this looks cool. This looks like a, like a national brand, not a 
GTA company. So you're currently, so you still have an active mortgage business. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. And then I'm going to ask you about the mortgage practice of your agent. So on the mortgage, your personal mortgage business is where does your business come from now? You've obviously been in the business a long time. So what does that look like? Been in the business a long time, honestly, because I've been in the business a long time. I basically just generate off of referrals that come into me. I don't market anymore. I haven't mm-hmm. done it in years. I don't do any print marketing. I don't press, you know, going around and doing a lot of networking sessions. I still go out and do those sessions because, you, again, you want to keep yourself top of mind and relevant. Mm-hmm. But I created it early on. I, I've always lived by the belief and from the mentorship I've gotten from other people in my career. You do good and you treat people well and keep them happy. They're going to want to send people to you. That, to me, is the magical formula. It's not, you know, anything else other than just doing the best job you can possibly do and understanding that the person in front of you coming to you is a privilege. Every client is a privilege. So how does your team structure then? Do you have help on the actual mortgage files you work on? I do. So what I do is for my overflow right now, I co-broker my deals out to my agents. Okay. And in terms of system. So then when you hand off a file to your agents, like how, what's your, are you watching it from beginning to end? Or are you just like checking on it? How involved are you in that process? I'm still involved in the process. The way we do it, it's all about communication and teamwork. So when they're dealing with the client, a lot of the communication we do with clients, of course, ongoing touch points is by email. So I'm looped into the equation. If it's a difficult file, I'll typically have the consultation with the client to do the structuring of it. Mm-hmm. That way the agent knows what we're doing and what the game plan is. So when they go and see the clients to do signing, I'm a firm believer of always having it. You should always have at least one face-to-face touch point with every single client. I don't believe that we're ever going to get to the point in time in this world where everything's going to be virtual. We're human beings. We need that one-on-one connection to really solidify a relationship. Can you imagine? I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be the crazy one. I'm going to be wrong. I don't think I will be because I think humans need that eye-to-eye, belly-to-belly at one point to have that connection. Can you imagine that it gets to the point that your relationship with your wife is all virtual? Like mm-hmm. it's, to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm old school, but I would think that's a little bizarre. Yeah, I think that both business models will exist. And I think that there's going to be a, a large segment of the population that's still going to gravitate towards that personal attention. And there's going to be a you know percentage, whatever that will be, that is just transaction focused. And so I think it's going to be a mix. I think you can build a successful business on either model, right? Like it's just, but you, it's just recognizing who you are and go, okay, this is me. I'm about relationships. So then I'm going to, that's how I'm going to focus my business. So. We are. And, it, and you know, and it resonates with our branding as well and our beliefs with our company, as you see, like our tagline is you belong. And that to me, we came up with that tagline for, you know, my thought process on that is it resonates both with the agents and I call them the members of the tribe that work for the organization. And also on the other thing for the clients as well. Mm-hmm. Like you truly do belong. We understand you. We speak your language. You know, we are customizing and listening to your needs, not just your wants. And to me, that's a big difference. What you want, and what you need are two different things. Well, anybody who has kids knows that, like what they want and what they need. And it ties in again to what I was saying about having courage and be kind. Sometimes having that conversation, like you said, with your kids or your significant other or your clients, they want something, but you know, it's not what they need. You know, have the courage and have the kindness to show them exactly what they need with your heart. Mm hmm. That's awesome. So now I want to ask you about the business side of it. So building your out your company, the six offices, 20 agents. So what kind of things have you done to build it so quickly? Word of mouth, networking. I believe like retaining agents in that. I have a philosophy at the company. I don't recruit. 
I don't believe in recruiting. I think recruiting to me is a dirty word. I don't mm-hmm. like that. I don't like chasing people. It's not chasing. It's, you know what? I want to tell you what our value proposition is and what we bring to the table. I want to show you what our culture is. If it's a fit for you, great. If it's not, no problem. You know, life goes on. But we have a strong core belief in our company that everyone, no matter what level you start at, you're considered very much the same. I don't think of myself being any different than a new agent starting on the team. They have things to bring to the table that I don't even know about. And if you take the time to listen to people, you'll learn from each other. You know, it's, uh, again, business quotes. You know, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go farther, go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And that is the philosophy of our company. It, no matter how we grow, it's going to always be the core belief that everyone works together and everyone, you know, passes it down to, you know, send the elevator back down, pass on your knowledge. Don't mm-hmm. hold it in all to yourself for what? Like, wh- why would you hold your success to yourself and not share it to the world? To me, that's just crazy thinking. That's a Kevin Spacey quote that you just referenced, send the elevator back down. If you've been fortunate enough to have success on you to send the elevator. And and here's the thing though. Here's the thing, Scott, don't send it halfway down. Like I've seen that in our business world. Send it down one floor. Here you go. I'll send it down the floor. Yeah. I'm going to give you a little bit, but I'm really not going to give you too much because that's mine, right? It's like that, you know, mine, like everyone share. Can you imagine if everyone truly went all in into this business and really, truly shared all their knowledge, everything all in no holds barred, no, no catches, no nothing. How great we can make the mortgage industry as a whole and really kick the bank's ass. Oh yeah, I agree. And that's part of the whole vision behind I Love Mortgage Brokering was this idea of the answers are there. We just need to start like sharing them to raise the bar, right? Like my goal was like, hey, if I can raise the bar from in the mortgage industry by even a half an inch, I would feel like that was a success, like in terms of, and I know that I don't have all the answers, but if I could get people talking, that the answers will come out. And so think of it this way. My best year at the bank, I did 120 million a year. No one in the brokering world knew who the hell I was. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was successful. I wasn't dominating the market share out there. There was were a hell of a lot more successful mortgage brokers out there that, again, didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't have this mentality that, you know, if if I go out there and, and share and progress or I want all the business and hog it all. There's more than enough market share out there for everybody. That's really good. So I have a question for you, actually, now that just kind of popped into my mind was with your agents, what kind of things do you coach an agent on who's maybe at the $10 million mark? She's like, hey, I want to get to 20 million. What sort of two or three things would you tell them to do so that they could, you know, move to that next level? First, understand what's preventing you to get to the $20 million mark. I need, you know, when I sit down with an agent and they tell me when they get to the $20 million mark, the first thing I ask them is what is preventing you? Everyone knows that answer deep down inside, but most people don't want to answer it. What kind of answers have you heard? Not being organized, not really utilizing their time properly, not focusing, wasting hours in the day. I find the biggest downfall that most people do, and I do it to this to myself as well, is not utilizing your time properly, not looking at your week and actually using every single minute in the hour to be productive, to get something done. You know, I've had those days again where I kick myself in the ass or I've had agents that call me up and gripe and I'll get these phone calls and they'll be like, oh, my God, I'm not getting any business. It's so slow. And I'm like, great. What have you done this week? I want to know what you've done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tell me what you've done from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I want to know everything. When you had a coffee, you went for a run. What did you do all day long? And when there's silence on the other end, the next thing I say is, well, then you can't complain because you've done it to yourself. Right. Sitting in your office or sitting in your home, hoping and praying that the phone's going to ring, it will never ring. Get out there. 
pick up the phone, go meet people. So, okay, that's good. So the first thing you'd say to them is, hey, I understand what's holding you back. So then what would be the next sort of piece of advice? Plan it out strategically. And I, I mean, I do business plans even still on myself to this day. I do it on the firm and I help the agents do it as well. If you know, and it's not that difficult to do, and then that's how you create your plan. So every year, the beginning of the year, January, I do the same thing. I map out my whole entire year for myself and my company. So I put in key meeting dates, key training dates, what activities I'm going to do. I mean, this business is pretty much a cycle unless you're throwing a curveball like we were in November. Mm -hmm. Like you should know key marketing times of the year, holidays. It's not that difficult to do. But if I know I want to do as, as simple as doing this, if I want to do 20 million a year, what does that amount to per week? Right. Yeah. So, you know, simply I'll sit there and I'll say, OK, I want to do 20 million per year. The easiest way to do that. I also believe in taking vacations. I, I think you need downtime. You cannot be working. And I never do this. And I tell my agents this too. You cannot be working the whole entire year, all 52 weeks out of the year. You need to take vacations. You need to recharge yourself and mm -hmm. clear your mind and clear your energies. So, you know, if I'm going to do 20 million a year. I'm going to take three weeks vacation. So, you know, 52 weeks a year minus three, that's 49 weeks I have left, let's say. So, you know, on average, I need to do 400. I need to close approximately, let's say, 410,000 in business a week to achieve that target. Now, laws of sales, you're going to attract maybe what? 50% of your leads are going to close, maybe. Mm -hmm. Out of every 10 phone calls, maybe one will buy. So then you work out the numbers back from there. So if I need to close, you know, 4.10 million, and I know the average mortgage size of my marketplace is 200,000, then I need two mortgages to close per week, which means I need to have four potential deals on my desk because only half is going to close, right? And out of the four, only 10% of my lead generation is actually going to be live deals, those four deals. So then I'm going to multiply it from there. And then I know each day how many activities I have to do and you commit and you stick to it. Uh, this sounds exactly how you would coach one of your agents in terms of getting unstuck if they happen to be stuck. And things don't happen overnight. I think when new agents start out, they get very frustrated, very frustrated, very fast. You know, we're, we're all excited to get into it. You think that you're going to get into it and start right away and do, you know, your first month, 20 million. And you realize that you get shit kicked to the curb. And I tell them all the time, just pick yourself up, keep going. Eventually, the tipping point will happen. If mm -hmm. I've never seen it myself in business, and I've never seen it with anyone that I've ever coached. If you keep on it and keep doing the activities, eventually the tipping point will happen. Right. You just have to keep your head down and keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Yeah, I agree. So I have a question for you. So how do you answer the question, what does a mortgage broker do? What do I do? Let me answer it this way. What does a mortgage broker do? Well, what a mortgage broker does is they sit down and they are basically your debt financial planner. That's how I explain it to them. Mm -hmm. The same way that you would go in and talk to a financial planner about your advice on your RSP portfolio or what you want to do for retirement, that is truly what a mortgage broker does for you. A mortgage broker will sit down and look at what the debt situation is, what the purpose of the mortgage is, and fit it into your plans, not only that it fits today, but it's also going to fit your future plans. And I go on to tell individuals, too, that when you do your mortgage, you should be working with a mortgage broker and you should be asking the mortgage broker, am I going to be able to maintain a long term relationship with you? Because to me, that's very important. What, what I love about being in this industry for so long is, I mean, I have clients right now where, God, I'm going to age myself. I'm actually doing mortgages for their kids right now. And I remember going to their house and their kids were five years old at the coffee table with me when I was giving the advice to the parents. To me, that's really cool because I'm able to understand where they're going with their life and give them advice on the structure of the mortgage to help them be debt-free. 
And I, I say that to my clients and I say that at cocktail parties too. The right mortgage broker doesn't want you to have debt. They want you to be debt free. Right. That's just a tool that gets you where you want to go. Uh, so another question I have. So what's the best business advice you've ever received? Uh, have patience. Like how long are we talking? I have to wait for that. We say this to my daughter all the time. Wait. My wife says to my youngest especially, wait and wait longer. You know, because she's always just like, <laughs> just go, go, go. So explain to me how you apply patience to your business or to business in general. Again, if there's situations where I'm such an eager beaver and I come up with really big ideas, my business partners, if they're on the phone with you, they always say this to me, like, Fran, you think 10 steps ahead and 20 years into the future. And I'm like, yeah, because we can do it. You know, it's, it's taking plans like that and learning from, you know, the things that I've learned and read and digested out there. You know, like Gary, I posted Gary uh, Vanderchuk, I posted that video. And it's so true. It's not getting you thinking, okay, I'm going to make this milestone and that's it. I'm going to be successful. It's like things sometimes are little building blocks and you don't realize it. Everyone wants the big castle, but they don't want to do the work to get there. They don't want to lift the bricks to, to build it. They don't want to lift the bricks. You know, I've always said, you know, I've, I've been saying this to people a few times and it's so true. The best thing that ever happened in my life is having kids. Very best thing that ever happened in my life. I mean, simple enough, having kids is awesome in my opinion, but it's because it, it actually having kids grounded me. Mm -hmm. It made me realize the important lessons in life that we are all taught, you know, have courage and be kind or, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Like, don't be greedy. I say that all the time too to my kids. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't get upset. I mean, I'll tell you a funny, you know, I, I got to tell you a funny story yesterday and it'll make people laugh. So my, I had Reese's Pieces, someone bought me is on the counter and they wanted it. Right. And, you know, you snap it in half two kids and one mm -hmm. gets upset because one piece is bigger. And I'm like, all right, no problem. I took the bigger piece, bit a chunk. I said, looks even now. Here you go. Go away. That's awesome. You, you know, like you don't get upset. You're going to get upset and fight over it. I'm mom's going to eat half of it. So go like, that's it. Yeah. I, I tax them all the time. So they call it taxes. I'm like, I'll pay to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And so if they have like something that I want, I'll go like, you know, eat some of it and they're like dad i don't want to pay taxes well then don't complain you get what you get and you don't get upset. right but i'm teaching them i think it's important to know that you in life you're going to have to pay taxes so you might as well start with your dad and, and when you grow up you'll pay them to the government yeah patience you know like having patience on things like honestly scott like i remember an aha moment my oldest daughter was probably about two three years old and she was having a royal fit. And I had a bad day before. Again, I'm not perfect. I have good days and bad days. And I'm looking at her. And I'm like, oh, my God. I sounded like that yesterday with somebody. Mm -hmm. And I'm a grown woman. Like, this is pathetic. Like, you know, I think, ki again, kids remind you of those life lessons that I think as adults we forget. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes you see them, you, they see them behave in a way that you're like, man, that's freaking annoying. And then you go, wait a second, actually, that's totally me. Right. That's pretty convicting because you're like, oh, crap, where did they learn that? Oh, wait, that, well, yeah, that was me. Um, it's just less refined maybe in a child and easier to notice. But adult, we as adults can still, we still have the same problems. Patience is number one, you know, and I, and I, I digress and I go off on tangents, but I'll never forget this advice. First started in the industry. Of course, you get to know the lenders and I'll do a name shout out. I don't think it matters. I, we got invited out to dinner with Scotiabank. So I'm sitting there with John Sarkadden and he says to me, Francis, you know what? I know what your plans are because I'm telling you everything. But he goes, you know, what? I'm going to tell you this right now. Rome wasn't built overnight. Have patience. Mm -hmm. Don't go too hard, too fast. Well, because I can just tell from your personality that you have what you had said earlier, which one of your, you know, Area lessons that you'd learned was that you're like a bull in a china shop. So you're just like, let's just, you get excited and then go. And then, so for you, you need to kind of be 
you know, have a bit more of a, not be restrained, but sort of disciplined and patient. But so then what about somebody who has the opposite problem? What about, do you have any agents that have like, they're too patient and they just sit there and they work on their business card and they, you know, tweak their website, but they don't actually like, you know, get out and do stuff. So what do you say to them? Lucky enough, I can't think of anyone on my team that's like that. Push them enough off the ledge that go and do it. Because again, I'll get the phone calls when they say to me, nothing's going on. It's like, okay, what'd you do? Well, I worked on my website. Well, website's not going to get you business. I can tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. But I have come across agents in the industry again, go for lunches and coffee because I love helping people. Like I don't Mm -hmm. ask anything for it if they want advice. And I see that and I say to them, listen, you can sit there and and write the manual your whole entire life, but you're going to wake up and be 80 years old and the car is going to be built and then what? Right. You know, I see out there, people are afraid of implementing things because they want it perfect because they don't want to fail. But I can tell you from experience, you're going to fall and you're going to fail. And the best way to learn is by failing. So, yeah, I know I agree with you that there's and same with me. We we have a philosophy in our company of launch and learn. We don't expect to have everything figured out, but we still launch because in that launch, you actually start to make you're like, hey, make a little adjustment here, a little adjustment there. And you get feedback versus trying to map out everything perfectly and then start to execute and then realize at step two, all of a sudden you're, you're throwing a curveball and you're like, crap, step three now doesn't work. And so you might as well just get moving and start making, you know, course corrections. I think people are afraid of the curveballs. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. People want to, you know, again, I've had this with agents on deals where they sit there and they'll call me up and they're like, okay, how do we structure? Okay. But what if this happens? Okay. And what if this happens? What if this happens? And like, listen, I can sit here and I can do the picture graph for you of every possible scenario, mm-hmm. but there's no point in doing that because we're wasting time on the deal. Yeah. Let's face the challenges as we are given them. Because right. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't have a crystal ball. Right. That's good. Can you share one thing about yourself that you can't find on Google? I like a lot of alone time. I don't think people know that about me. I think people see me out there and being very, like you what said. Do you do, what do you do in your alone time that's like, you're like, this is how I recharge? We have, my husband actually pushed us to buy it years ago. It was probably the best decision he pushed me to do. it. It's kind of funny. I always joke he did it on purpose. So our first daughter was born, first baby. Can you picture this? First baby. One week at home, and he's like, hey, I found this awesome 100-acre property up north. We're going to buy it. And I always say to this day, I think I was like in that new mom. You had mommy brain. Mommy brain. I'm like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Let's do it. And then when the haze went off, I'm like, what the hell did we just do? But best thing we ever did. It's up in the middle of nowhere. We go up there all the time. I, My husband knows this about me. My kids do too. It sounds a little weird. But I'll, I sometimes will go sit in the field by myself for two hours and just think. Just think and clear my head. Yeah, that's that's so good. That's awesome. Okay, so th- I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. So what's the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Fear. And what's the one thing or habit you think's made you successful? Courage. Punch fear in the face. <laughs> you know what? No, Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you fail on something? Like, what? People are going to laugh at you? Like, who cares? If you think of yourself as an, I, I try to think of myself as an experimenter. So if you're doing an experiment, you don't expect everything to work, but you expect to learn from every experiment. And so I, I that's why when I, I don't have the, you know, I do, obviously I have fears about things, but when it comes to le- trying things, I will try them because I, I just feel like you, you have to experiment. And that's how, you know, all new things and learning comes from 
just for me anyway, comes from those running those experiments. And it's okay if an experiment doesn't work with the way you want, because maybe there's a lesson for something else that you're going to do that you're going to apply the next time. Well, yeah. And even fear as for a new agent, you, you know, how many times I hear this is I'm afraid to call them. I'm like, like, like a new prospect. I'm like, why would you be afraid to call somebody? I was like that at the beginning, but not anymore. You should never be afraid to reach out to people. I, and people aren't evil and mean. And if they don't want to talk to you, no sweat. You know what? The door is just not going to open up for you for whatever reason. And it's okay. There's a reason why you're not going to connect with that person. Move on to the next. Rejection's good. So what's one uh, software or app you can't live without? I'm not really appy techy. You know that? Do you know that's funny? Honestly, social media, this may sound funny. It keeps me connected with a lot of people, a lot of my referral networks. Facebook, Instagram is the two that I use. LinkedIn, I mean, is there, but Facebook and Instagram primarily. A majority, I mean, everyone in the world is on a smartphone, is on a social app. It allows me to be connected with more people than I have ever been in my whole entire career. I mean, I have real estate agents that I'm connected on. Social media is huge. When I, I'll give you an example. When we left the bank, me, Peter, and Glenn, of course, you can't take any systems with your databases, right? So you had to rely on, okay, I built this machine big enough. They're going to contact me. Still to this day, I have clients saying, oh, my God, thank God I found you on LinkedIn. I found you on Facebook. Right. Hmm. That's really good advice, actually, for somebody who is happening. If you're changing you know, companies or if you don't keep your database or if you leave the bank to go to a brokering, is make sure you have a really strong social media presence an online presence so people can actually find you. So Yeah, and, and it, honestly, Scott, if you look up my uh, Facebook page, I don't have a separate Facebook page for business. So there's mm -hmm. not Francis Hinojosa Mortgage Broker and Francis Hinojosa Mom, Friend, whatever, separate. I believe in one page. I am who I am. What you see is what you get. I'm very open, very exposed to everybody, and I wouldn't be any other way. So my right. clients see my posts. They see pictures of my kids, and I want them to. I want them to understand who I am and who they're doing business with. And again, it goes back to building relationships. It makes them more comfortable with the advice I'm giving them. That's really good. Well, if you could recommend one book for listeners, what would it be? I love Robin Sharma. Leader Without a Title is probably my ultimate favorite right now. I mean, I go to his seminars every year. He's having his next personal mastery um, sessions in Toronto in June. I'll be there again. It's I call it my two-day retreat recharge. It's like a tune-up. It, it really is a tune-up. It really is looking in, not to give away the whole entire seminar, but I'll give one segment there and it ties back in about understanding how short life is and how to take risks and challenges. One of the things he gets you to do, two things that I think it really stuck with me and that's why I go every single year because I love doing it. One thing that he gets you to do during the seminar, halfway through the session, not steal the thunder, is you have to write your eulogy. Do you know how hard it is to write your own eulogy? Yeah, that's a quite the process or the eye-opening process it is an eye-opening process because it really makes you look at yourself and be like okay and you know it keeps your priorities in check it keeps your why in check mm -hmm. i know i'm throwing a lot at you, at you but i'm a firm believer in why's as well mm -hmm. why do you do this business why are you in the career that you're in and and again anyone listening out there if you're getting into this business for money get out now mm -hmm. <laughs> like you, you won't last long you have to have passion in it Anything yeah. you do, you have to have passion in it. And that's yeah. where you're going to be successful. The money will follow, but you have to, can't, that's not the focus. So that's with your eulogy is figuring out your whys in life. The other thing that he gets you to do, which is really, really interesting the first time I did it. At the end of the session, you have to write a letter to yourself of the lessons you've learned. Hmm. That's awesome. And they mail it to you a year later or eight months later. So you, and it's funny how the human mind works. I completely forgot about this letter and that shows up in the mail. I didn't even remember what I wrote in it. 
and then reading it, 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 it was like a recharge of everything that I learned. Hmm, that's really cool. Well, this is the last question I'm going to ask you. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Mm-hmm. So there's the car. You can travel in time. So I'm going to throw you in the car and bring you back. I don't know if I'd want to send you back sort of three and a half years ago, even 10 years when you were started in your, as a bank specialist. But you can choose. You can choose either did we go back three and a half years or 10. But either way, what advice would you give yourself if you could travel back and, and have ten, five minutes with yourself to say, hey, Francis, do these three things? 10 years ago, I would say take chances and take more risks. And any other advice you'd give yourself? Any other advice? Patience. Right. Any mistakes I've done in my life, honestly, is because I didn't have enough patience. Just trying to go too fast. Too fast, too hard. Slow down a bit. You know, it's like I learned now, take those two hours in the field and just think. I think as human beings, and I know I do it myself, sometimes we create bigger problems than they should be. I find that you'll you know, wake up in the middle of the night and your mind will be trying to solve a problem or have a, a conversation you need to have with somebody and you're playing it all out in your mind. You're like, this is a waste of time. Like, I'm not actually having that conversation. I'm just like spinning my wheels. And so it's, and then it's messing with your sleep. And so it's like, how do you like, you know, just basically reminding yourself to shut off and be in those moments when you need to be in those moments. It's not a big deal. I mean, some things we worry about today didn't matter five years ago and are not going to matter five years ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, you know what, you have the mentality of, sorry, I'm just going to say it it and not deal with it. Mm -hmm. But you know, don't stress over it. And remember, everything in life happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. Right. You know, every challenge I've ever faced looking back now has led me to where I am today. So where can people find you online? They can find me online. My Facebook's open. So they can find me on Facebook, website, they can find me there. And they can just simply reach out to me if they want at francis at tribefinancial.com. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody anytime. I love people. You know what, if you if we and the last thing I'm gonna throw in there, Scott, I think as agents, as humans, as as beings in this planet, if we take more time to actually listen to people, you'd be shocked that how advice comes down to you that you don't realize it's being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. It's like when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It's sort of like you don't listen to the advice until or you don't notice the advice till you're ready to listen to it. Right. But any good teacher out there knows that they learn from the student constantly as well. That's true. It's a two way. So anybody listening, check out the show notes at com. I will have links to everything that we talked about, including to Francis. Francis, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope that you guys continue to crush it at Tribe Financial. Amazing. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.